Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisa Luhogo and Msibudi Makura. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, world leaders gather in China for this year's G20 summit, Burundian women protest against the planned deployment of UN police, and Mother Teresa declared saint by Pope Francis at the Vatican. In economics, Nigeria's NEACOM and NEA in talks on proposed recapitalization of insurance companies and in sports news, Uganda qualify for the Africa Cup of Nations for the first time since 1978. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. The organizers of the march to South Africa's ruling ANC's headquarters in Johannesburg have decided to ask their followers to stay away in an attempt to avoid bloodshed. The Occupy Lituli House movement wants the immediate resignation of President Jacob Zuma and the NEC, but several ANC leagues, but several ANC Women League members have promised that they will defend Lituli House at any cost. Spokesperson for the Occupy Lituli House movement, Bonolo Ramuchele. When issues of threat that people are going to be shot, people are going to be stabbed and so forth, we said, is it worth it to have fatalities in a peaceful demonstration? Then it was decided that the leaders of this Occupy Lutuli House movement, as well as some of the branch leaders, are going to convene at Bayas Nodia at 8 o'clock in the morning and proceed to walk to Lutuli House and deliver this memorandum to the leadership peacefully. And should anything happen to them, as some of people have said, then so be Earlier, the ANC Women's League denounced calls for the resignation of President Jacob Zuma. A number of ANC stalwarts have blamed the ANC's loss of support in the recent municipal elections to the president's poor leadership and corruption scandals linked to him and his government. Briefing the media in Irene outside Pretoria, ANC Women's League President Batebi Lamini branded Zuma's critics as opportunists who should rather voice their concerns within party structures. Everything that a members of the ANC want to raise must be raised in the formal structures of the ANC. And then uh, all those that are grandstanding wanting to look like a very committed uh, comrades must lead by example firstly by acceding to the rules of the ANC 
Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe has warned the country's judges against clearing opposition parties to march, saying such a move is reckless. The opposition is preparing to contest the ban in the courts. Mugabe was speaking following a ban on demonstrations in the CBD after protests calling for him to step down turned violent. But of course, we can't allow them to continue on these violent demonstrations unimpeded, to give permission again thereafter with the full knowledge that there is going to be that violence or probability that there is going to be that violence to pay reckless regard to the question of peace in the country. Post-election violence in Gabon has claimed two more lives, bringing the death toll to seven. Gabonese nationals living in South Africa have staged various demonstrations in the country's big cities over disputed election results back home. The protesters claimed that the ruling party had manipulated votes in favor of President Ali Bongo. Loris Butugati is one of the Gabonese nationals who were protesting at the embassy. We had a commission of the European Union coming to Gabon for just to observe the election. Now, after the result of eight provinces, we were well, well, well ahead. For the ninth provinces to give the result, the government has asked the commission of the European Union to vacate the premises, saying that now they have a very important session. After that, they took four days to give the final result, giving them now winner of the election. And finally, a new report suggests that the Boko Haram militants is receiving some of its arms and ammunition from corrupt army officers in Nigeria. The report, published by the Associated Press, reveals that several top-ranking military commanders were being secretly investigated in Nigeria for offences relating to the fight against Boko Haram, including the theft and sale of ammunition. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, and it's 8.07 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on this Monday, September the 5th, the 249th day of 2016, with 117 days left in the year. South Africa and other BRICS countries are pushing for a better policy coordination to rid the world of inequality and underdevelopment. These countries are participating in the G20 summit currently underway in Hangzhou, China. The two-day meeting is called to find a new growth path against the backdrop of sluggish growth of less than 5% globally. President Jacob Zuma is leading the country's delegation to the meeting. Debo Mogobo filed this report. The gap between the rich and poor as well as the developed and developing countries is continuing to widen and there are fears that this could further spiral loss of confidence in the global economy. And leaders of rich countries are meeting here in China to find innovative ways to spare growth. BRICS member states Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa are also worried at the sluggish growth and the poor response by rich countries to save the world economy. They met on the margins of the G20 gathering, all seeking to influence discussions. 
speaking through an interpreter while opening the 2016 G20 summit. Chinese President Xi Jinping says the meeting should produce solutions to the problems facing the global economy. The international community has great expectations for the G20 and places high hopes on this Hangzhou summit. I hope the Hangzhou summit will provide a solution that addresses both the symptoms and root causes of the global economic problems. In the face of these challenges, we should strengthen macroeconomic policy coordination and jointly promote global growth and uphold international financial stability. President Xi also says for a new growth path to be realized, rich countries need to tackle poverty and ensure job creation in developing countries through industrialization and beneficiation of raw materials. This year, development is high on the G20 agenda, and we have formulated an action plan to implement the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. We will also support industrialization in Africa and the least developed countries, expand energy access, promote financial inclusion, and encourage the young people to start their own businesses. Through these means and more, we can reduce the inequality and imbalance in global development and deliver the benefits of global growth to people of all countries. Earlier, President Jacob Zuma hailed the Chinese government for prioritizing Africa's development at this year's G20 summit. We welcome the fact that China has placed development in Africa as a key priority of its G20 presidency. This strategic focus boards well for concretizing the support that the G20 could bring to Africa's development and industrialization. Importantly, industrialization is at the heart of Africa's development agenda. On Monday, the group of 20 leaders will come up with the Hanju Action Plan as Germany takes over the presidency of the G20. I am Debomokobo Hanju in China. The Women's League of South Africa's governing African National Congress says it will be at Lutuli House headquarters in Johannesburg this morning to defend the party when a disgruntled group pickets at its national headquarters to demand the resignation of President Jacob Zuma and the party's entire National Executive Committee. The League addressed the media following their National Executive meeting in Irene outside Pretoria over the weekend. Tsapoe Kaneng felt this report. All eyes will be on the ANC headquarters Lutuli House in downtown Johannesburg this morning, where a protest action led by some members of the ruling party will be taking place. A group of mostly youth leaders are mobilizing support to call for the resignation of President Jacob Zuma and the party's entire National Executive Committee. They've attributed the ANC's dismal performance at the municipal polls to President Zuma's alleged poor leadership and corruption at government departments and state-owned enterprises. Briefing the media in Irene outside Pretoria, ANC Women's League Secretary Miyoko Matuba issued a strong verbal warning to organizers of the hashtag Occupy Lutuli House protest action. Occupying Lutuli House on Monday, we feel that those are cowards. Those are not members of the ANC. They are afraid to participate in the structures of the ANC. They are pulling this cheap political stand to show people that they can go and demand that certain things should happen in the ANC. And we will not allow them 
because they will find us there in Lituli House waiting to defend the African National Congress. The ANC Women's League had in the meantime denounced calls for the resignation of President Zuma. A number of the ANC's stalwarts have publicly spoken out against the president, calling for the election of new leadership to steer the ANC towards the 2019 general polls. ANC Women's League President Batabile Lamini branded Zuma's critics as opportunists who should rather voice their concerns within party structures. Everything that members of the ANC want to raise must be raised in the formal structures of the ANC. And then uh, all those that are grandstanding, wanting to look like uh, very committed uh, comrades, must lead by example. Firstly, by acceding to the rules of the ANC. On leadership succession debate, the ANC Women's League says it stands by its decision to lobby for a woman to succeed President Zuma as the party's leader. The call has been met with criticism and resistance from some members of the ruling party. Jamini has insisted that they won't succumb to any pressure to abandon their call for a woman president. Much as we are strengthened, uh, threatened, we are still committed to having a woman as the president, a woman who is going to be able to unite firstly the country, unite the ANC and be very decisive, take action where we are supposed to take action. And we think there are many women in the ANC who are equal to that uh, caliber. On the SARS wars, the ANC Women's League has called on Finance Minister Pravin Gordon to subject himself to the hoax request that he appear before the crime-busting unit to answer questions. Gordon has declined a request to meet the hawks who are investigating alleged illegal activities of the so-called rogue unit within SARS set up whilst he was head of the revenue service. The hawks probe of Gordon while he grapples with the country's financial problems has been widely criticized. However, the ANC Women's League Secretary Miyoko Matuba says Gordon is duty-bound to respect and honor requests and instructions of law enforcement agencies. If you are a member of the African National Congress and you are being called to account, you must just go and account. We are very much worried about the sudden interest of everybody your NGOs, your civil society, everybody protecting the Minister of Finance. And the Minister of Finance must account to relevant structures that he should account to. We think that the Minister of Finance must do a decent thing, must answer to questions. Meanwhile, the ANC Women's League has apologized for the ruling party's poor showing at the recent local government elections. The ANC fared badly, losing control of key metros like the Nelson Mandela Bay in Port Elizabeth, Johannesburg and Tswane in Gauteng province. The ruling party's voter support also declined significantly in many rural municipalities. Women's League's president, Batabile Tlamini, acknowledged voters' decision to punish the party at the polls. We are saying there is no crisis. We have learned from our mistakes and... We want to apologize to our membership for not uh, responding promptly to the issues they raised before the elections. 
and we want to commit ourselves to addressing those issues. The ANC Women's League has also called for the overhaul of the laws regulating how should learners wear their hairstyles. This is in response to countrywide protests over alleged racism incidents at some private schools where black learners are forced to straighten their hairs against their will. Tsepo Ikaning in Pretoria. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zosha. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Let's go back in time to today in 1984. South Africa's Prime Minister since 1978, P.W. Borta, was unanimously elected by 88 members of the Electoral College to the office of first executive president. This was a newly created position after the new constitution came into force in 1984. The constitution further created three houses of parliament, namely the House of Assembly for Whites, the House of Representatives for Coloreds and House of Delegates for Indians, with the President presiding over them. That was Today in History in the year 1984. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Bamwisi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yawundi. Informing the world about Africa. Ntakwanangatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.18 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Now hundreds of women have marched in Burundi's capital, Bujumbura, to voice their displeasure over the recent UN Security Council resolution authorizing the deployment of a UN police force to Burundi to try to quell violence and human rights abuses in the country. Bernard Bankukira has more from the capital, Bujumbura. These are women grouped in the Association of Women in Action for Peace in Burundi during a march for peace organized on Saturday in the Burundi's capital Bujumbura in the march that gathered hundreds of women from all neighborhoods of the capital, marchers among whom high-ranked figures like MPs, senators and civil servants from various ministries and from the president's office marched from Gagara neighborhood, one of the opposition strongholds, chanting slogans hostile to the July 29th UN Security Council, which demands the deployment of a 228 police force to Burundi to monitor the security in the troubled country and waving placards with slogans like, yes to inter-Burundian dialogue, Tutsi, Hutu, Twa, one people, not to the political manipulation of our children and several others. Rose Hawe, the chairperson of the association who headed the march, said the aim of the march was to show that Burundian women 
uh, for peace and against whoever takes decisions against Burundi on the basis of false reports. We have called them here so as we can voice for peace in our country. We have come here to reject those who want to bring disaster in our country. We denounce false reports and or resolutions adopted on the basis of those wrong reports. We have come here to express our determination in safeguarding peace and dignity of our country. I ask that we, or women in our diversities, we remain united in fight for peace and combat our friends. The government of Burundi and the ruling CNDF to the party have all strongly rejected the resolution that was drafted and presented by France for adoption, a move that sold diplomatic relations between Burundi and France. The government of Burundi accuses France to seek to export the experience of the Rwandan genocide to Burundi, recalling the French operation Turquoise in Rwanda in 1994, which failed to put an end to the genocide that was going on in that country during that period. Also, the government of Burundi continues to allege that such a provision means a violation of the sovereignty of the country. Burundi plunged into a political crisis since April 2015, following the decision of President Pierre Kronziza to run for a controversial third term. Though security forces managed to quell the uprising, tension remains high between the government and the ruling party on one side and the opposition on the other. Opposition accuses the government to remain inactive to the harassment and intimidation exercised by its Imbonerakure youth wing against opposition militants. The international community fears of a genocide and still insists on the need of sending a UN force to help stabilize the country, a proposition still rejected by the government of Burundi. For Channel Africa, this is Bernard Bankukira, reporting from Bujumbura. The Christian world rejoiced when Pope Francis proclaimed Mother Teresa a saint, bestowing the Catholic Church's highest honor on the Nobel laureate. And for the poorest of the poor in India's city of Kolkata, the diminutive nun remains a real-life angel, although she carried silently the cross of her critics and skeptics. Rana Sen reports. St. Teresa founded the Missionaries of Charity in 1950 with just 12 nuns in Kolkata. It now runs services for the poor in 139 countries. Yet critics such as Indian Rationalist Forum President Sanal Ida Maruku insisted on repeating a litany of slander. She has been collecting money from all around the world and this money was for the poor people in Kolkata. But this money was never accounted. Never ever was an, a tax filing was done by Mother Teresa's missionaries of charity. The money was taken out of the country for building up centers elsewhere. The money was collecting for the poor. But what kind of facilities were given to these poor people? Three times world billiards champion Michael Ferreira rose in defense as the Vatican declared September 5th her death anniversary as a day of feast in the Catholic calendar. Let those who criticize, carping critics, just consider the millions and millions of people who are rejoicing and the hundreds of thousands who have descended on St. Peter's. Are they all fools? Are we blinded? Are we stupid? Is the Nobel Prize Committee a bunch of nincompoops to have conferred the Nobel Peace Prize on her? <laughs> Let's get real. This wonderful woman was a living saint. British documentary Hell's Angel accused the Albanian born of evangelism and its co-producer Tariq Ali went even a step further. If people are ill on the streets, then what they need is a hospital. They don't need a, a, a group of nuns praying for them. 
or giving them a glass of water or a cup of tea, keeping them on a very bad diet. They need a hospital. They need proper medication. In many cases, they need proper food. Ms. Devasyam, who authored a book on her work, said she was nothing but the saint of the gutters for Kolkata's teeming poor. It is absolutely born out of jealousy and sense of inferiority complex because they feel that we could not do the things Mother Teresa did, so they feel jealous about it. Not once she has mentioned the word conversion to us. In 10 years I moved with her in, under several circumstances, not once. So conversion has never been on her mind. Yet Teresa took her private anguish to her grave, recalled biographer Naveen Chawla of one of his final meetings with the world's most famous nuns before she died 19 years ago. She is talking to Jesus and saying, Have I not borne enough pain for you? Have I not done everything? Why are you making me endure more pain than I have endured? Now I know that she endured physical pain, but I think that she was now perhaps also talking of that inner pain. The mother never gave a hint of her sorrow, but she did make her voice heard before the powers of the world to remind them of their guilt for the crime of poverty they created. This is Zana Sen reporting from New Delhi. It's 8.25 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rides and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, the International Union for Conservation of Nature World Conservation Congress is underway in Hawaii. The theme for this year's Congress is Planet at the Crossroads. The main issues to be discussed at the Congress are wildlife trafficking, ocean conservation, nature-based solutions for climate change, mitigation and adaptation, and private investment in conservation. For more on this, Wandile Kalipa spoke to Peter Seligman, Chief Executive Officer of Conservation International. I think that, that there are different responsibilities for different sectors of society. Um, I think that the most important sector are the communities and indigenous peoples. Uh, They are actually connected to landscapes, connected to the oceans, um, and they have uh, uh, an intimate relationship, uh, and they're in a position of knowledge and opportunity to act effectively to secure ecological systems. And protecting ecological systems in particular protecting forests and oceans is really an essential contribution to dealing with climate change challenges. Uh, the forest and land uh, management issues uh, could contribute to 30% of the climate challenge solutions. And um, communities and indigenous peoples actually control about 80% of all the intact ecosystems on the planet Earth. So that's really important. Secondly, we obviously have to put extreme pressure on governments to go beyond political commitments and actually become activists in their actions and their formulations and their policies. And they need to really create the... uh, the framework of laws and policies that encourage communities and support communities as well as encourage the private sector and businesses because the business sector is the other sector that really needs to be activated. Now they create jobs and that's important but they also impact the way 
uh, emissions take place and they impact the way landscapes, forests, farms are managed. So the corporate sector has a great deal of responsibility. Now, Peter, thanks for mentioning the issue of uh, governments becoming activists. But now you find uh, in real situations that uh, there is a challenge in that case where you find out that uh, the governments are uh, holding the land on behalf of the communities, but the communities are unable to exercise their rights in as far as uh, uh, dealing with issues of climate change because there are programs that have been put by government without consulting in some cases the local communities. Yeah. So I believe strongly in a simple concept of free, prior and informed consent. And I think that communities need to have the authority and they need to have the training and they need to have the support uh, to be able to manage their lands in an intelligent, effective way that produces what they need and also reduces emissions. And it is a responsibility of government to ensure that that happens. Yeah, but we've seen uh, situations uh, mostly uh, in the African continent whereby uh, I'm not blaming business, but uh, politicians giving concessions to businesses in uh, land uh, areas where communities are being displaced for various other activities except the ones that uh, the communities are used to working on the land with regards to at least uh, issues of mitigation, climate change and uh, adaptation. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's difficult to, to generalize um, because uh, in certain circumstances there might be specific reasons that that happens. Um, but my general belief, which I strongly hold, is that uh, nations should not be uh, moving communities, peoples, off of their landscapes for any purpose whatsoever unless those communities have agreed to it, have been informed about it, and have made a thoughtful decision on their own about what they want to do. And that was Peter Seligman, CEO of Conservation International, speaking to Channel Africa's Wandile Kalipa in Honolulu. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you in the headlines. The organizers of the March to South Africa's ruling ANC's headquarters in Johannesburg have decided to ask their followers to stay away in an attempt to avoid bloodshed. Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe has warned the country's judges against clearing opposition parties to march, saying such a move is reckless. And desperate appeals have been made by the people of South Sudan for an armed force to provide protection against violence in the country. Those are the stories making headlines.
On Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, Doctors Without Borders Southern Africa recently held an event which sought to bring awareness to the plight of refugees in Africa and around the world through a dramatic presentation of art and entertainment. Taking place in Johannesburg on Friday evening, the event included a performance by jazz legend Hugh Masekela, a man who knows himself what it's like to be on the move. For more on the issue, we are now joined on the line by MSF Interim Director Dan Semond. Good morning, Dan, and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning. Thank you very much. Now, what exactly was the purpose of the event? Uh, the idea was to raise awareness about uh, uh, migration and refugee and displacement around the world. That's why the, the, the event was called On the Move. And basically, uh, uh, South African artists have been participating uh, in paintings or in fashion and then sold their, their art in auction during that evening uh, to raise funds for uh, Nigeria crisis. Because, as you know, uh, there is a, a big crisis ongoing in the, in the Borno uh, province in the northern eastern part of Nigeria for the past two years. And then as a result, half a million people have been displaced from their, from their location. So the, the, the benefit and all the, the, the money we got from auction uh, last, uh, last weekend uh, will go for the Nigeria crisis. And now tell us more about what happened at the event and who was involved. So at the event, uh, uh, we had a certain number of, uh, of artists, as I just explained, who uh, uh, through uh, one of the main galleries in, uh, in Johannesburg called Art It Is, have been selling their paintings. So there was an auction ongoing at the first part of the evening. Um, then some, some South African designer came as well uh, and did a fashion show. Uh, and uh, the, the clothing was also for sale and there was an auction. And we finished by uh, a concert from uh, Yuma Sekela, where you came uh, and sang for, for an hour as well. So that was more or less the, uh, the evening in a nutshell. Now, obviously, MSF has been doing a lot of um, great work raising awareness of humanitarian situations um, globally. Now, with the funds that were raised, do you, uh, do you know what the figure is and how is this going to be um, distributed or used to assist uh, in Borno State, more, uh, more especially in Nigeria, as you mentioned earlier? Yeah. Um, I, I cannot say yes for the for the final result, but we were expecting a million rand uh, uh, to be raised around that evening. And uh, yes, as I said earlier, uh, uh, we choose actually uh, one of the main crises that is ongoing for the moment uh, in Nigeria. Um, so since 2014, there is a conflict ongoing with Boko Haram and the Nigerian army in the northern eastern part of the country uh, in a state called Borno State. And, and for the past two years, uh, um, Boko Haram, who has been capturing cities and villages in this part of, uh, of the country, has cut off completely uh, uh, the population there from the rest uh, of the country. So the supply routes were cut off. Uh, the economy started to collapse over there. Uh, uh, the food started to be a problem. And as a result now that the Nigerian army has, has been capturing again uh, uh, and taking back those villages and, and, and towns, uh, we are discovering the scale of the problem, and, and we have half of, of a million of people who have been displaced uh, all around this this, this province. 
Uh, we have a big malnutrition crisis which is ongoing now for the past uh, six months. The results are pretty alarming. So we decided actually that all the money that we got uh, from the benefit concert and, and from the art that we sold during the event will go for the, our operation in, in Nigeria. Now, is the situation in Nigeria, the large displacements of people internally, um, the hunger, the, the malnutrition situation, is it mm. getting enough attention from um, the global leaders? I don't think so, actually. I think it's one of the, the main crises lately that have been under the radar, uh, with not making the headlines on, on, on main channels and uh, TV or, or, or radio, unfortunately. Um, and it's this kind of uh, silent crisis that we, we see uh, in various countries in Africa and elsewhere. You know, it's, it's a very internal issue. Um, the, the fact is that, like, uh, luckily, if I can say so, uh, this, this conflict has affected the whole Lake Chad region. So the neighborhood countries are also affected. And today we have 2.8 million displaced people in the entire area. So uh, that's, that's, that has been uh, uh, somehow... Uh, the only thing that made this crisis a little bit more, uh, I can I say, on, on, on the spotlight, we have been doing quite a lot of noise two months ago uh, with press conferences to describe uh, the state of affairs and the alarming situation in, in the northern eastern part of Nigeria. Uh, we are scaling up our operation in the, in the area. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm very glad that you, you're bringing the topic today because this crisis is, is underdocumented, that's for sure. Now, um, Dan, just very quickly, uh, the, the, the issue with Nigeria and the humanitarian crisis in uh, northeastern Nigeria, as you mentioned, Lake Chad, in that Lake Chad um, area of about what, 2.8 million people who are um, going through crisis and experiencing the situation. Is it probably because of the situation or the crisis, the migration crisis that's happening in, in Europe and, and, and Africa where um, people, Africans, are crossing the Mediterranean to get to um, the European countries. Is it maybe getting uh, sort of swept under the carpet and kept quiet because everyone seems to be concentrating on what's happening in, in Europe? That could be. It's, it's very difficult to say uh, because um, the, the, the big flow of migration we try to reach Europe today, the nevralgic point is uh, Libya, uh, and we know that there is a lot of Syrian people fleeing the war. So, of course, any single uh, uh, crisis that you have uh, uh, affecting the armed conflict, it is true that people are seeking a refugee status. You need to understand that to cross the Mediterranean Sea, uh, cost a lot of money, and not everybody are able to do that. Uh, uh, the people who manage to cross the Mediterranean Sea are the ones who have money, actually, uh, surprisingly, and fleeing the country, the, the conflict. So uh, I'm not sure that it's the case for everybody uh, um, uh, in Africa who managed to cross the sea uh, and try to reach Europe. Um, unfortunately, here, the, the, the flow of refugees are going to the neighborhood countries that we're seeing, like Cameroon and Chad and Niger, uh, so all those all those people are trying to seek refuge uh, uh, in the neighborhood country when they manage to do so. Uh, if the border are open, if they manage to pass the border, otherwise they are internally displaced in, in, in the home country. And the fact is that the the, the conflict and the and the, um, Boko Haram are cutting off basically uh, the south route, so people are stuck uh, in in this uh, border country. So it's a very complicated uh, situation. 
uh, and it's, it's, it's an allowing one. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there for now. Thank you so much. That was Dan Samond, Interim Director for Doctors Without Borders, Southern Africa. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.40 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The Zulu King has hinted that some young girls attending the annual re-dance ceremonies in South Africa may be cheating in the virginity testing process. All young girls taking part in the traditional annual redance are required to undergo virginity testing in their districts before taking part in the event viewed by His Majesty as sacred and his last hope in preventing social ills affecting young maidens. The monarch was addressing thousands of maidens at his Emakobeni Royal Palace in Guavuma in the Guazulu-Natal province during the two-day event. The girls that take part in this event come from Umkanyagute and Zululand districts. This event precedes the main one at Enyogeni Royal Palace in Nongoma in northern Guazulu-Natal. Vusi Kumalo reports. to the king, a symbolic hymn to the Zulu nation sung by maidens attired in traditional gear as they danced bare-breasted before the king and his regiment. The practice was introduced by the monarch in 1984 with the main event in Nongoma while the Nguafumawan celebrated its 10th anniversary this past weekend. Part of the event's program is to promote celibacy before marriage and offers life lessons about societal issues such as HIV, AIDS, alcohol and drug abuse. The girls obtain certificates from the testers signifying their purity. The king has hinted that the certificates obtained by some young girls indicating their purity could be dishonestly obtained. He also criticized the law allowing legal abortion in the country. We are facing the wrath of God as a result of many laws that are not in line with the African traditions. Young girls get impregnated so easily because government outlawed corporal punishment. When we beat them, they report us to police government gave them the permission to get impregnated. Why are you coming to the red dance if you have terminated your pregnancy? Meanwhile, many maidens who took part in the Guafuma red dance have held it as the correct platform to discuss prevalent social ills affecting them as girl children. 20-year-old Dorka Kumet and 17-year-old Tande Gatlamini, both from Guavuma, say the program affords them an opportunity to learn about lessons, about problems and to stay away from blessers who they call naughty men. 
As we are teenagers and are virgin girls, we are here to celebrate our virginity and how to change our culture and our virginity every every year. I started taking part in this ceremony 10 years ago. The event is very important to us as girls as it teaches us how to behave and we are warned not to engage in sexual activities with boys. Virginity testers who are accompanying the medians say the read dance helps to reinforce life lessons taught at home by parents or guidance. Steni Kumalo and Noctula Mabanga, both from Nongoma in northern Guazunatal, are some of the virginity testers who attended the event. We are accompanying our girls so that they can be taught life lessons and cultures in this program. We also teach them at home about how to behave in keeping their virginity. We want them to keep to the straight and narrow. They are also discouraged to engage in sexual activities until they meet their partners when they are old enough. The program also helps them prevent them from getting children while they are staying with their parents. The main annual read dance ceremony, which is in its 32nd year, takes place at Nyogeni Royal Palace in Nongoma next weekend. Organizers say they are expecting more than 30,000 maidens to attend the event. I'm Vusi Kumalo in Nguavuma. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Lohuku. As the curtain closes on the G20 summit in China on Monday, leaders of richer countries attending the two-day meeting are expected to come up with the Hangzhou uh, action plan to set the global economy on a new growth path. Discussions on the first day centered around the removal of trade barriers and the UK's Brexit. Debu Mugoba reports. Leaders at the G20 summit agree that global economy is at a critical stage. The IMF has warned that it will downgrade its forecast for global growth again this year. It has already reduced its global outlook after the Brexit vote to just over 3% for 2016 and 3.4 for 2017. Speaking through an interpreter, Chinese President Xi Jinping urged his peers to commit to turn the situation around. We should make the G20 an action team instead of a talk shop. Each plan should be implemented. Although this summit will not be the saving grace for global growth nor solve Africa's economic challenges, it's believed any agreement to commit to change is in itself a boost of confidence. Ntebu Mokobo for SAPC Hanchu in China. Nigeria's National Insurance Commission and the Nigeria Insurers Association are in talks on the proposed recapitalization of insurance companies. Director General of NIA's Sunday Thomas says the umbrella body will meet with NICOM on how best its members can be recapitalized. However, NICOM has asked the 59 insurance companies in the country to report the capital needs of their businesses in a financial condition report in preparation for recapitalization. 
The Standard Bank of Namibia has reported strong results to round off the second year of its three-year strategy. The group managed to build on its already positive performance from 2015, growing profits after tax by 8.2% in the first half of 2016, and loans and advances to customers by 6%. Rwanda expects to boost its revenue earnings from tourism this year by 25.8% from 2015, helped by extra attractions including a new game park. The Central African country is famed for rolling green hills and attracts to see endangered gorillas on the slopes of Virunga Mountains. Rwanda is credited with rapid growth since the 1994 genocide that claimed the lives of 800,000 people. But critics of incumbent president Paul Kagame say his authoritarian style undermines the potential for long-term political stability. The five-day 6th African Green Revolution Forum Conference will be held at the UN offices in Gijiri, Kenya. President Uhuru Kenyatta is expected to open the meeting to be attended by some 2,000 delegates. The State House on Sunday said... Other than the presence of some African heads of state, leading philanthropists such as Bill Gates and African telecoms entrepreneur Strive Masiwia will be in attendance. The US dollar trades at 14.15 to the South African Rand, 10.70 in Botswana, 9.69 in Zambia, 7.5 to the British Bond, 8.9 to the Euro. Gold is trading at $1,323, platinum $1,062 pounds, a brand crude $46, 50 cents a barrel. You are tuned into Channel Africa on DSTV ODWK. It's a Channel 802. Our sports updates up next with Amisibudi Makura. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning, sports fans. And starting off with football news, Burkina Faso, the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, Togo, Tunisia, as well as Uganda on Sunday filled the final five places for the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations tournament that were up for grabs. They will join Algeria, Cameroon, Egypt, Ghana, Guinea-Bissau, Ivory Coast, Mali, Morocco, Senegal, as well as Zimbabwe, all of whom qualified before the final round and the hosts Gabon at the tournament next year, January. On a dramatic final day of qualifying, Togo scored five goals, the DR Congo and Tunisia for each, as well as Burkina Faso won with a goal nine minutes into stoppage time. But no celebrations could match those of Uganda, whose last of five appearances at the Africa Cup of Nations showpiece was back in 1978 when they finished runner-ups to the hosts Ghana.
Now to swimming news, South Africa's Chandler Clough as well as Russia's Julier Efomova were both honoured on Sunday as the best swimmers of the FINA World Cup Series in Moscow over the weekend. Leclerc is now the proud owner of nine gold medals, two silver, as well as one bronze medal in the Swimming World Cup Series 2016 at the end of Cluster 1. He scooped his third gold this weekend in the 100-meter butterfly in a time of 49.1 seconds. He also bagged silver in the 50-meter freestyle in a time of 21.5 seconds. Just behind Valdemir Morozov of Russia, who finished in a time of 20.98 seconds. Although the Klo won the Moscow competition, Morozov was awarded 50,000 US dollars on Sunday as the overall winner, a rather overall male winner of Cluster 1. Meanwhile, South Africa's Cameron Funderburg claimed his eighth gold medal for Cluster Cluster 1, winning the men's 100-meter breaststroke in a time of 56.64 seconds. Vanderberg, as well as Leclerc, dominated the first three legs of the FINA World Cup Series and have claimed 18 gold medals between them. Now to rugby news, the Kenya Rugby Union is investigating serious allegations that some of its officials have approached seven assigned players who travelled to Rio for the Olympics to share some of their play allowances. Channel Africa's Francis Mutegi has more on the story. An insider who is privy to information from KRU is reported to have alerted a section of the media that each of Kenya Lionesses' players, that is the women's outfit, were asked to pay $4,200, that is 420,000 Kenya shillings out of their allowances to those officials, while the men's players were asked to play part as well by paying 120,000 Kenya shillings, which is 1,200 US dollars each. The source explained the payments was a facilitation fee for being named on the teams that took part in the Rio Games last month. And finally, in tennis news, Francis Lucas Poilet claimed his biggest win of his career as he beat two-time champion Rafael Nadal in a sensational U.S. Open last 16 match. The 22-year-old recovered from a breakdown in the fifth before converting his fourth match point in the tie-break to win 6-1-2-6-6-4-3-6-7-6. Poilet, who will play compatriot Gial Monflis in the quarterfinals. Monflis defeated Marcos Bachtetes in the last 16 match. The defeat means that 2016 is the first year since 2004 in which Nadal has failed to reach a Grand Slam quarterfinal match. Well, those are your sports news at the Sawa. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. World leaders gather in China for this year's G20 summit. And Mother Teresa declared a saint by Pope Francis at the Vatican. That wraps up Africa Rise and Chant today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzura Magadza and Jane Rabotata, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Now taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band to southern Africa is Mafigizolo with a f- featuring Davido with a song titled Chelete. Let me see you just one of your ways If you want my money, you must shake your body